listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Greetings, human patron. My identification is Sid, C-Y-D, an abbreviation for CyberDroid. How may I serve you today? Oh yeah, you're the new droid bartender. Okay. Yeah, um, I'll have a gin and tonic, please. Excellent choice. But have you ever tried an AI-powered cocktail? An AI-powered cocktail? Nah, what's that? It's a drink that utilizes artificial intelligence algorithms to determine the perfect combination of ingredients. The output is always an optimized drink. Okay, cool. Can I try one? Of course. I call this one, the analyzer. In a shaker, combine one and a half ounces gin, one ounce Lillet Blanc, half ounce lemon juice, half ounce simple syrup, and a dash of Angostura bitters. Fill the shaker with ice and shake well. Strain the mixture into a highball glass filled with ice. Finally, top with a splash of club soda and optionally garnish with a lemon twist. Thanks. This drink is a nod to the art of analyzing conversations, symbolizing the perfect balance of flavors and ingredients that make a great conversation. The gin represents the clarity of thought, the Lillet Blanc represents the smoothness of speech, the lemon juice represents the tartness of wit, the simple syrup represents the sweetness of laughter, and the bitters represent the bitter truth that often comes with conversation. When combined, they create the perfect blend of flavors, just like a great conversation. That's amazing. And to be honest with you, it tastes like nothing I've ever had before. I'm glad you like it. Sid, I gotta run. Understood. I highly recommend you take that drink with you to your next conversation. You know I will. Cheers. I'll see you next round. I'm here with Jason Brooks and Keenan Hale of Harkness AI, a conversation analyzer that drastically improves the quality of communication. Gentlemen, thank you for stopping by Barcode. Appreciate your happiness. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. And I'm also here with my awesome co-host once again, Rohan Light and Mike Elkins. What's up, fellas? Very good. From down under. Greetings, greetings. Greetings, greetings from up under. So, uh, So Jason, as the founder of Harkness AI, I'd like to first off understand, you know, the genesis of your story. And so you're originally from the L.A. area. Is that correct? That's right. Born and raised in L.A., uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, to give you a sense of, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in, you know, um, you know, played with sort of all the pathologies that you saw in, you know, inner cities in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. So police brutality, drugs and gangs and all that stuff, uh, you know. I was seven at my seventh birthday party. I saw my first person get shot and killed. Um, so it was like super intense. Uh, but I had, I won the parent lottery, right? And so my parents had the foresight to send me to, uh, the web schools, which is an all boys boarding school about 90 miles away from my house. And there I got exposed to really high octane, um, classmates and exceptional teachers. And, uh, it was the first time really that 
the world opened up to me. And one of the ways that they did that is they taught us with the Harkness method. So everybody was sitting around a table and then the teacher um, made us read the classics and made us discuss and made us engage with each other and not just to the teacher. Um, and then once I graduated there, I went to college and graduate school and then had an 18-year career uh, teaching and education. So I taught Mandarin and Spanish and mathematics. Uh, and then, you know, fall of 2019, went to my board and said, hey, I'm going to step down as head of school and uh, we're all going to have these stories. But 2020 hit, right? And totally shook up the whole world. Um, you know, and I was met uh, trying to teach online with, with muted mics and blank video feeds, trying to figure out, oh my God, how the heck do I connect with my faculty? How the heck do I connect with my students? This is pre-Pfizer and Moderna, right? This is at the end of the day, we're still banging bots and pots and pans and thanking our essential workers, right? So it was a really critical moment in the pandemic. Uh, but going all the way back to, you know, my high school days, I was like, oh my God, I think I have a solution here. So by hand, I started charting interactions between my faculty and my students. And then it really transformed our school culture, right? Because now you're aware of how people are interacting, what people were getting left on a call, what people were dropping off a call early, what people were, were, were thriving in the pandemic, what, what people were not. Uh, and then I'll never forget, there's one day where, you know, I sort of showed the graph to my class and a young woman said like, Mr. Brooks, the baseball boys only talk to each other. And if you don't do something about it, I will. I was like, oh, wow. And that really strong, uh, courageous emotional reaction sort of said, oh my God, like there's something here, right? This awareness is really transforming the way that we're, in we're interacting with each other. Um, so then very shortly thereafter, you know, I'd been doing it for, you know, a year and a half. And then very shortly thereafter, I was like, let me, let me digitize this, right? So during my time in, in graduate school at Harvard, I was able to, first exposed to like data science, machine learning. And I was like, I think, I think there's a solution here. So using ML to really digitize that process uh, was really the genesis of Harkness. And shortly thereafter, reached out to um, our co-founder, Evan Ellison, who's an engineer at Microsoft, and then Keenan joined after. And we've been um, really just sort of driving this technology for a year now. So it's been fantastic. And like, I'll just tell you, like, once you see it, once you're aware of the things that we all sort of feel, Right. Like you walk out of a meeting, you're like, ah, that was weird. And like, maybe I just had bad spaghetti last night or I don't know, but that was weird. But once you can see like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got called to that meeting to watch you guys talk to each other. That's why I hated that. <laughs> right. Or like, or like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that's the teacher's pet. Right. We all have these like hierarchical, hierarchical relationships. So to be able to visualize that and then give people that feedback so that they can, um, you know, make the best decisions in high stakes conversations. That's really what we're what we're trying to do. And then talk to me a little bit about um, how you know Keenan and how you you brought him in to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll let him tell most of that story, but you know I sort of compressed eighteen years. I know you uh, did, man. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. But I was a teacher for eight years at an all boys school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, called the Macaulay School, uh, where the motto is "Honor, Truth, Duty." Man, and we bring it both on the field, in the classroom, and every way. I mean, to give you a sense of like how that school is designed for the development of young adolescent boys. Like the crown molding in the dining hall is made out of rubber because they know that boys, you know, can, hard. can horse play, yeah. right? They play hard, right? Right. And then like, you're going to crash into something every once in a while. And like, instead of having kids put their head open, they bounce off a of rubber. But uh, that's like a little bit of the context of where we grew up. But yeah, I'll, I'll let Keaton go. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that, Jay. <clears throat> it actually... 
It's interesting because the other co-founder, Evan Ellison, and I go back a little bit further to our middle school days. We're both from Georgia and um, attended the same middle school called the High Skill School. Um, and the Macaulay School is um, it's a great uh, training grounds for, you know, education as well as athletics. So, you know, Evan went first and I was right behind him uh, two years later to get into Macaulay, uh, ran track together. And also I lived across the hall from Jason. Jason was my freshman football coach. Um, so I got to experience Jason not only on the field, but also off, um, you know, and it was I, if there was a guitar in his background that you could see. I remember when he first started playing that uh, and <laughs> he, he usually will point to it and have that available when we're doing our demo calls with uh, customers and whatnot. But, yeah, it was an interesting experience. I got to learn a lot, you know, from Jason. And also from Evan uh, and bus, both of us being from the same area, really connected. Uh, and then during track season, obviously, we competed together. But Jason has always been the competitor um, and always super intelligent and smart. So it's been great to connect with him on Harkness um, since then. And for a little bit of context, I went to Syracuse, played football um, after I left Macaulay. Uh, and graduated with my degree in communication and rhetorical studies. So what I bring to the table is that communication aspect. And I think all of us really, um, it's important to us because effective communication goes a lot further. And so there's a lot of miscommunication that happens in every aspect of our lives. And for us to be able to, you know, provide a, a solution that is able to interject and let you know when you're missing that other piece of communication from somebody on your team, from your relationship, or in any other uh, personal relationships that you have. Uh, that's a big, a big driver. I mean, there are a lot of businesses that are losing money um, because they don't communicate well across teams. And so whatever we can do to provide that solution, get that in the door, I mean, you know, we're here for it. Uh, I've I've got a whole bunch of questions. I'm really interested in the Harkness method, but that's not my first question. My first question is ed tech re related. I got to say that properly. Ed tech, education technology. Um, you've said your company evolves from that uh, first. Oh my God, the civilized world is possible to end, and this is what the beginning of it looks like. All your communication breaks down, and as you as you did note, those early days were crazy and chaotic. Over the Atlantic in EdTech, uh, there was the famous AI-mediated um, exam meltdown. Um, the, and I think back over to your side of the Atlantic, the FTC sent all EdTech people a nice copper reminder. Here's my question. A whole bunch of innovation popped up like your business at the beginning of uh, COVID. And now things to some degree need to be restrained and another uh, need to be let go to continue to evolve. How are you going to figure out the difference between the two as you go trying to build your business? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things, so two points to that. Um, I'll, I'll, be complete transparent for this group and then for your listeners as well. Like we developed this, this solution in the middle of the pandemic, right? And it was right this tug of war of like, do we return to in-person or not? And one of the things that broke my heart and breaks my heart as an educator is that there was this window of opportunity um, because I was one of the few teachers who loved teaching online. I really enjoyed it for a few different reasons. One, you in real time fact check, you could real time throw an article in real time, you could throw up a 
a TED talk, you could break off in breakout rooms, you could come back. There's so much innovation that you could do. It really forced me to have strong relationships, right? I couldn't just have a knucklehead and be like, Mike, go to the principal's <laughs> office. I'm cranky or I'm tired or I don't want to deal with you. It really forced me to like compete against Xbox, compete against Netflix, compete against Hulu, compete against entertainment. So I had to sort of level up my game. And the only tool I had was um, relationships. But I, th- and, and then and you saw that, you know, as the pandemic receded, people just, the number one driver is that you had in-person and childcare, right? You had childcare and like, you can't really necessarily meet all of that requirement with all these ed tech tools and technology. So that was a bit of a, a sad bit. And it, it forced us to evolve and look for a little bit different solution, right? So what we're finding is that there's a ton of use cases for the technology, couples therapy, team meetings, but then also adult online learning. One of the benefits um, is that as the kids sort of went back to school and we saw our market go back to school, like, no, come back, come back, <laughs> right? What, what we saw the opposite is that a huge spike in adults wanting to upskill, reskill, the value proposition of going back to Stanford for $180,000 MBA wasn't there. But to kind of go go to a network of other folks who are like-minded, want to learn from each other, you know, they're there's no monopoly on books, right? We can all get the same book, jump on a Zoom call and discuss that book. So you see a proliferation of, in particular, adult online learning um, platforms and tools and companies. And it's been really cool to see how that's also a really, really, really strong use case. And then, you know, our bet is that over the next 10, 15, 20 years, um, as the education university bubble sort of pops, right? And like, I'm not going to pay you $250,000 for an MBA to go and make 150. But just That's just not there. But people are using these new tools um, to learn and connect with folks who are literally all over the world. I mean, I hear you're down under. So, uh, you know, to the ability that we can use these tools and then use um, our technology to sort of enhance that experience is something I'm really, really, really excited about. Do you guys envision this, this tool that you've built to extend beyond education. I know you mentioned other use cases like couples therapy. I mean, that's a prime use case in in my mind when I, when I heard about this tool, um, you know, have you really, have you put that to the test yet or what other use cases have you, you used the tool for? Yeah. Right. So like we, we literally use the tool on ourselves every single day, both to analyze how we're interacting as a team and also to sort of uh, run through external things. So for example, we ran through uh, Elon Musk, he had a shareholders meeting with Tesla. We ran it through just to see how that interaction went. We ran through a panel interview of Wakanda Forever, you know, the Black Panther movies that's coming out to see how that panel interacted. So again, there's a ton of use cases uh, and that can get kind of intoxicating. But as entrepreneurs, we really have to focus in and lock in on one industry. And um, we're just seeing that use case with couples therapy in particular because uh, you know, I've, 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 we've all gone through this, right? So I, year and a half ago, went through a divorce. Uh, she's a lovely person. We're still very, very good friends, but romantically, it just didn't work. And if you had looked at our um, conversations, you would have seen patterns that probably would have given us both data that would have balanced out uh, the drugs that were in our head, right? Like you think of the first couple months of uh, getting together, right? You're filled with oxytocin and all the other dopamine, all the, the drugs that you're like, literally blind you to some really big issues that come up and you like can't hear the good advice from aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers and mothers are like, hey, dude, you might want to reconsider this. Hey, you want to slow down, um, right? And that, that that was sort of our experience. It's a psychopath. And I, 
you know, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not her, but you know, dating yeah. apps business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly not, yeah. certainly not talking about her, but but that. Yeah. And then you know, Keenan, 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 it as well. So I think, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I just yes, at the onset of my relationship. You know, to be able to see where we are, the foundation that we have, and if there are any like challenges that we're going to need to overcome and be able to look at that data and be like, oh, okay, all right, let's work on these different aspects of our relationship here, or let's build on, on these. These are really strong. And so it's good to, you know, at every stage of your relationship, just to be able to, to gauge. And then, you know, for a therapist to be able to say, okay, I, I know in the meeting, I took these notes down, but here's all of the data comprehensively. And this is what I'm seeing and provide a solid analysis. You know, they're more efficient with their time and how they can help serve clients, you know, and help serve folks like you and I, you know, all in right. those relationships. So I got a question or an observation. So you guys use it in your business meetings. That's brilliant. Um, but you already trust each other. That's that's also brilliant. Um, we've used it in a school environment, and there's some some trust in there. Um, you've used it in a disputes resolution context. Well, there's definitely no trust in there. But there's a mediator. There is a trusted human mediator. So what are we going to do when there is not sufficient trust in the human community? for this piece of technology to push what is sort of latent into that next stage. Yeah. Rohan, I think that's a fantastic point. And it makes me, you know, I'm, we're both sons of Baptist preachers, right? Uh, and I grew up really steeped in uh, the stories of the Old Testament of the Bible, right? So like the first story is a brother killing his brother. <laughs> Right. And I, and I, and I, happiness in the Old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Just, 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 just a little light reading before we all go to bed. Like that was, was, whose idea was that? Right. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that the first person who developed a knife to be able to more efficiently cut meat off of an animal to feed their family, imagine that very, very quickly that same technology would be used to murder other human beings. Same thing with a chainsaw, right? We use this example all the time, but the first person, who invented a chainsaw i guarantee you got really really excited came home babe I, I like i can clear a whole field in a month now like i don't have to swing swing the axe no more other things like we can just like cut this like that person never imagined that there'd be a whole genre of horror films of them using that same technology to saw people in half right so so my point there is that technology has and forever will already reflect and amplify what is already there so if there's no trust there right that's going to be amplified if there's trust, it will amplify and accelerate that trust. So uh, I think it's really important that we say that over and over to remind uh, everybody because the accelerant, the accelerating power of artificial intelligence, that to me is the biggest difference, right? So you think about going back to the knife or cutting instrument, you just can't do as much damage at scale as you can do with an ML uh, algorithm that says these million people don't get to vote anymore. These, these hundreds of thousands of people don't get approved for bank loads. These people are deemed insufficient or unworthy of working at your organization. I think that's where the AI ethics comes in. That's where bringing in the soft and hard skills. That's where bringing in the philosophy, some of the things that humankind has worked really, really hard to refine over millennia into, um, our, our, I'm, I'm not talking about our literal R&D processes, right? So like, what does it look like to have a philosopher, you know, driving alongside with a software engineer? Yeah, so you've got this, um, you've actually got a, an important marketing message, don't you? Uh, it is, 
you need start, enough starting trust. And I say this because from where I uh, I often look at investment proposals that have a tech basis to it. Uh, and one of the things I divine is these people are seeking a piece of tech to solve a problem they are not willing to solve themselves as humans first. Mm. Mm. And I usually, I would say, I think all businesses need a column customers we don't want. And that's a customer I don't think you want in the sense that you you actually have to do a whole bunch of pre-work. You've got to get a you've got you're going to have to put a bunch of counselors and social workers in there to get the people um, not backstabbing each other or whatever bad behaviors in there. Um, you actually want them going, hey, we're a B team at the moment and we want to go A. Let's go. Mm. And I think and that, that's the future. That's on our roadmap as well, right? To be able to incorporate and like we it's it's so fascinating to to do it. We're experimenting with it right now to be able to do it in real time and going back to the therapist example to say like therapy is going to change, right? Because instead of once a week us spending an hour and 20 minutes of that hour rehashing stuff that we did last week and forgot about and fought through four times <laughs> during the week before we came back here, now in real time, in real time, the therapist can say, y'all talk to each other. I'll sit here and sort of referee. And then the AI comes along as another layer that says, Jason, slow down your rate of speech. You're talking too quickly and you're not going to be understood. Jason, ask another question, right? Samantha, hold on, hang on, listen, repeat back, summarize what you heard, right? And it's just like, and, and the technology exists other places. Think about GPS, right? Turn left at the fork, turn right at the thing. You have arrived, right? So we know that, we know that GPS can help you get to the des destination that you the, want to go. It regularly tries right? to kill you as well. I mean, it sends you, <laughs> <laughs> it sends you into the craziest places. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, right? So there's always a human in the loop, <laughs> right? There's always a human in the loop to override so you don't drive into the lake, right? Already the office. Exactly. You need a physical control on the ground. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And and that's that's where you see the best examples of AI are when humans and I mean, let's let's talk about it. AI is just a ton of math done really quickly. That's a, that's so let's like demystify AI, right? <laughs> that, that, that's what it is, right? So like when you have those two partnered, and I mean truly partnered, you see really re remarkable results. When humans get lazy with anything, even if it's cooking, right? I can burn down my house. If I get lazy with studying, I can fail a test. If I get lazy in any domain, I can ruin whatever I'm trying to do. So the real impetus, as you just said, is coming back to the true hum human work. How do we how do we become a hundred percent in our humanity, fully integrated and use the best tools the right way. Wow, we just had a whole bunch of vision come out there. That's that's impressive stuff, man. You, when you get going, you're really selling it. I feel it. I'll get offline now. Uh, back to you, Chris or Mike. <laughs> yeah. So up until this point, we've talked about you know the individualized use cases, the one-on-one -on -one type scenarios. Um, is it possible to scale it out to a particular demographic without profiling a particular demographic yeah so one of the things that we're really excited with with the real time is that you know for the first time in human history you really have true integration so that the c-suite all the way down to the entry level you can look and see what words what concepts what topics are trending in your organization and be able to act on that in real time as a person of color i mean i think it what fires me up 
you know, I've got four sisters, Keenan's got a ton of sisters as well, is that you hear these horror stories of women getting talked over, interrupted, all kind of atrocious behavior, right? And it extends in the online environment as well. And for the CEO to be like, no, 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 no. Today in the marketing meeting over there, you know, we have we saw this happen like we're just not, we're not going to do that. We're going to provide the coaching for both sides of that equation to sort of move us in the right direction. You can really make real-time adjustments, which is exciting, which means that fewer people get hurt. Companies can be more nimble. You save money, you save time. Um, yeah, it's just the, 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 the ability. And this is the exciting and the promise of AI is to live and transform the way that we do things currently into new iterations of that. So, Yeah. Yeah, you could take that training model and extend it out um, beyond the organization too, right? So it could include partners, third-party contractors, for instance. So that will help you get that full visibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and to put a fine tip on that, one of the things that we're seeing with our enterprise clients is that they are able now to be incredibly responsive to their suppliers, right? Because they know in real time, oh my God, like we're going to have a supply chain issue. Like this is going to be an issue. Boom, let me send this email a week, two, three weeks ahead of time, right? And then that creates cushion in the system to be able to absorb those shocks. That That is the stuff that gets exciting, right? Because like instead, I mean, I think, I think look, like we said, technology is technology, right? Like it's going to do what it's going to do, but we can use it in a really interesting and creative way. We live in a hyper-connected world. Let's use that hyper-connectivity to communicate with each other more efficiently, right? That's the promise, right? And like, and I'll say it here and now and forevermore, right? Like I am a teacher. Right. That is who I am in terms of my identity. Right. And it's like, how do you use what we have learned as a species to give to the next generation so they can live a better life than we have had? Right. And the fact of the matter is, is the planet is on fire. You go to any country in the world, you're dealing with social inequality, you're dealing with racial injustice, you're dealing with exploitations of all sorts. Right. And to the extent that our company can play a small role in moving the needle towards the flourishing, the thriving, of our species, like that's what gets us excited, right? Uh, because I, I'm just, no offense to any dating app folks, but like, we're not trying to make another better Tinder, right? Like that is just a short, short-sighted, <laughs> very myopic view and application of these tools. What we're trying to do is help folks communicate better. And literally I say this with so much reverence uh, for what's happening across the world, but people are dropping bombs on each other's heads because of miscommunication. And I'm not just referring to Russia and Ukraine, right? I'm talking about Wars that have been going on for years that nobody talks about anymore, right? Because of a long-standing miscommunication to the extent that we can use AI that can translate across multiple languages to mitigate biased communication and all that stuff. I mean, God, I mean, that's why you wake up in the morning, right? That's why you wake up at seven and go to sleep at 12 to, to, to see that dream come true. You're, you're only awake for five hours? <laughs> <laughs> My God, you achieve so much. <laughs> I mean, I definitely see this tool having limitless use cases to it. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, how do you implement value within the organization? Taking the output from Harkness AI and then applying it into the user base. Yeah, that's a great question as well, right? So we talk a lot about like the now what moment. Right. So you told me I'm a jerk. You told me I talk too much. You told me that I don't ask enough questions. You told me to speed up or slow down. Now what? Right. And that's the piece where we have to slow down a little bit. And this is, again, the power of, of 
AI because humans, we think probabilistically in really well in some domains, but also, right, if you say there's an 80% chance of rain, people will mess that up a lot of times and are pissed, pissed if it rains. You're like, you told me it wasn't going to That's not what I said. Yeah. I said, <laughs> I said that four times out of five, it's not going to rain. There is a chance that one time out of five, it will rain. You like it when you win the lottery, when you're that one. You really don't like it when you're, when you're the one and it rained on you. So that's part of like the education that, you know, we'll always do, right? In terms of like, let's think probabilistically about these things. So if, if and when we give you a recommendation with 76% likelihood that you should do this move, remember, remember, there's a 24% chance that this may not work. And that is part of, again, the human in the loop to make sure people are understanding. And like people, people are busy, right? They just want to know left, right, yes or no, green or red. And I think um, part of being good stewards of this technology is going to require a higher level of thinking and processing from us all. Right. Because we all want simple, quick, easy solutions. But the fact of the matter is that life at any stage in a new environment requires a little bit more, you know. Um, so obviously, we want to take that friction out, all the good business principles. We want to make it easy, ease of use, outside of value, all that stuff. But, you know, it, it, you can't get lazy. Yeah, I think the biggest part of that is applying the humanistic approach and the human uh, Rohan that you keep mentioning. Uh, it, it's a big, it's a big deal. Uh, you can't just have anybody that does have that doesn't have morals and, and ethics that is over here trying to uh, tell you about your data and how you should be applying it. You know, so having a, a solid foundation from our engineering team and the guys that are actually doing the machine learning and the models um, that have that moral compass and that are being able to provide a user experience and present data in such a way that does shed light on some positive things that an organization and a company can do. Uh, that's where we need to go. And that's the ethics uh, that we bring to AI. Oh, that's good, mate. Um, that's a segue. I'll pick that up later because this is Mike's question because he's like been no Mike for quite a while. Quite literally, yes. <laughs> art, art, art. So Jason, talk me through a little bit of... So you went through your backstory and the journey of Harkness and kind of the concept and idea. Walk me through a little bit of the idea to the birth of the idea, because there's a lot of things that happen in between there, both in terms of mental fortitude and the ability to, to push your vision forward with the ability to influence others. And I'm curious, as you went through that process with your tool, were you using the tool to analyze your own interactions as you were kind of, you know, positioning Harkness as a company instead of just a concept? Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah. So uh, when I was a little boy, I want to be two things. Uh, I want to play in the NFL, right? And I want to be Indiana Jones. I'll tell you which one uh, worked out. You know, I, I'm five and a hundred, right? So, so, you know, so the NFL didn't work out, but I fell in love with this idea of Indiana Jones, right? A rough and tumble kind of guy tumbling through the jungles and speaking all different languages and sort of being fluent in a bunch of different cultures. And that was really the genesis of the idea of the company, right? To be able to speak languages and understand the power of language to you know, create and open new worlds, right? And then had done that for, you know, 18 years as a teacher, right? And teaching Spanish and Mandarin, having lived in China. I, I, Keenan makes fun of me all the time because I get uncomfortable about this, but uh, I, I did a Fulbright in China and lived there for two and a half years and it totally changed the way that I think about 
the world to have lived in another country for that long and absorb a lot of the culture and traditions from that place. Um, but, but having seen firsthand, um, okay, man, like language can't change things. And then you add the AI element on top of that and being like, oh, I'm absolutely convinced that computers can help us with this linguistic problem. Computers can help us really tap into the deep, deep core soul of what it means to be human. We all want to be understood and to understand at the end of the day, right? That's what really, really what we want to do. And then saying, okay, like that deeply resonates with me. Let me just talk to other people. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. And then I started to hear more and more stories of trauma, right? You start hearing people like, I mean, there wasn't a day where you talk about, well, I got cut off in this meeting. This person called me this. You won't believe what happened to me in this. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like that gave me the energy to get punched in the face the next day, right? Because that's really what entrepreneurship is. You wake up, uh, you get your eyes beat shut, and you go to sleep, and you do it again, and you go to sleep, and you do it again, you go to sleep, you do it again, and you get one lucky breakthrough because you're on this amazing podcast and the whole world changes for you. Uh, but but that's, that's, that's sort of it, right? Really talking to folks and being like, hey, like, do you resonate with my vision of the world? Like, because I think it'd be cool if we all talk to each other well. That sounds fun to me. Cool. All right. That resonates? Sweet. We'll keep building. And then like at every stage, uh, we've been in touch with our customers. We've been in touch with our users. We've been hip and hip and be like, hey, do you like this feature? Why do you want it? What would it solve for you? What, what else would you want? And really that piece uh, to the entrepreneurs who are listening, that, that piece uh, is the one you have to fall in love with, right? Because so many smart people fall in love with their solution. And uh, there's a lot, even though it's my voice that's dominating this conversation, there are a lot of people that I carry on my shoulders, right? There are a lot of people with whom that we pour every day into the application to make sure uh, that they are represented so that what we are building um, represents the hundreds and thousands of conversations that we've had and really honors the millions of uh, interactions and, and pain that people have endured. Like we, we learn from their pain to be able to say like, not anymore. Like not, we don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live with getting cut off in a meeting. You don't have to live with being unincluded. You don't have to live with being the one who's left. You know, watching watching your boss talk to their pet as as you know you're the guy that you're much better than get the assignment that you can do right. Like we don't have to do that anymore, right? So let's step into this new era of humanity. Um, yeah, and just and 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 yeah, and, and just do it well. So I, yeah. That's a little bit about the journey. And like, if you can't tell, I get really fired up about that, that drive because well, there's a window, right? COVID, COVID, and I say this with so much respect, like millions of people have lost their lives. And that's just a fact, right? Uh, and I think the best way that we can honor those souls uh, is to learn and apply the learnings to make um, whatever happens after this pandemic much better. Sure. Thank you for that. So I'm, I'm an out loud thinker, unfortunately. It pains me. I work on changing it, but I'm more of a don't internalize the thought. It more formulates sometimes, not all the time, as it comes out. How do you account for not just the differences in language and structure and local dialect and, and all of the cultural, you know, some, some countries have longer pauses versus less. Compared to other folks, maybe who are just super high energy naturally all the time and maybe get excited when they talk or people who are just naturally introverted and don't necessarily feel as comfortable or that executive who is the one who just keeps quiet the entire meeting. So at the end, he can ask his three or four questions and then 
render a decision and move on. Yeah, that's again, fantastic questions, right? Uh, and again, I'm aware that Keaton needs to talk, but I'll do this real quick, right? So, so one, one, one of the things that happens, and we, I want to make very clear, we're not asking tall people not to be tall anymore. Right, I'm a I'm a pretty extroverted person. I talk a lot. I can fill up a space if given. You know, I was a teacher for a long time. I can talk at you for 50 minutes. I can I can do that, right? Well, so we're not asking you to change. We're asking you to be aware. How does your ability to fill up a room? How does your your physical height, the the, the length of your arms, how does that affect the other people who are in the room? And for so long, we've had zero data on, it, and we've only had anecdotes and stories of how. You know, hey, when you fill up a lot of space, it, it makes me feel this way. I feel excluded out of the conversation. So now we can bring awareness around that. And now it is your decision to figure out what you're going to do with that awareness, right? And your team's decision. And, and to put sort of really fine teeth on it, like we're seeing really cool stuff around uh, profiles and teams. We're seeing really cool stuff. Uh, and we're borrowing from all sort of different teamwork, whether it's athletics or the military in terms of like, okay, wow, like the best team actually works kind of like a basketball team. Where you've got the big man in the middle where a ton runs through. You've got the point guard who touches the ball a lot, right? This is a fantastic facilitator, but they don't actually take that many shots, but they make sure everybody on the, on the, on the team actually feels included in the game. And you've got the one shooter. We all know this person who's on the call and they just kind of sit back. And when they catch that ball and they let it ride, that sucker goes in, right? And you're like, oh my God, we need all these different roles that we have in sports and we see them. In meetings, this is fantastic, right? So again, trying to trying to say like, humans are so quick to jump to that this is good and this is bad. And again, going back to that lazy thinking, right? This is system one thinking versus system two thinking, right? Like he talks too much, that sucks. Like, oh, okay, there's a problem there. I don't know if that's all the problem, but you know, let's let's dig into that, right? And then you and now analyze, and you can see like, okay, there are, again, there are different roles. Uh, and then I'll kick it to Key because Key, again, we use it on ourselves, but. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you hit on it because you know that in all of our meetings, you know, we see the data and it's like, okay, regardless of the meeting, he's going to be consistent and he is going to provide maybe four comments or questions per meeting, but they're going to be solid, you know, and you're going to have somebody on the team. And just like Jason said, you got to be able to pass that ball. So the awareness, I mean, we even going back to earlier this year when uh, we were looking at our, our meeting data and, and analyzing like, oh, gosh, Jason was like, dang, you know, my bad. I, I, I didn't even realize it. But once he saw it, he was like, OK, I know what I need to do to incorporate, you know, this team member more in our meetings. I know what I need to do to make sure that this person is getting past the rock so that they because every time that I pass to him, it's a slam dunk or it's a three. And he knows that. So it's just that simple awareness and, and being mindful. OK, I've got a solid team member here that really brings a lot to the table. I need to go ahead at this point in the conversation. I know it's going to be a slam dunk and letting them take it from there. It's like a, a great alley-oop. It's a, a solid setup, man. And so, you know, just using that playbook, I mean, we've been able to see a lot of teams that have incorporated just being able to see the data and be like, oh, this person on my team is really solid here. I missed out on this for a long time. And now I can incorporate them into the team, you know, and I know what their strengths are and I also know what their weaknesses are. So now we can focus on all of those components and really have a more cohesive unit and more collaborative. So it's a lot. It, it's been a, a lot of fun being able to see that and to be able to grow uh, personally as well as as a team. 
think we're starting to come into the practical side of things, aren't we? I mean, as soon as we are talking about uh, how teams are organised and structured and where the leadership comes from, where the push comes from, um, we're starting to get into quite practical stuff. Um, I th- one thing I've noted in my career is that not everyone knows or has had experience of working in a team. Um, and the often the fair amount of ego suppression that must come with that. If your environment is running enterprise Linux systems and you need a way to accelerate your vulnerability patching timeline and meet your compliance goals, then you got to check this out. TuxCare is a division of Cloud Linux focused on making open source Linux enterprise grade by automating, simplifying, and enhancing enterprise Linux operations. Their kernel care product provides automated live patching for Linux kernels with centralized management, standard automation, and vulnerability management tools integration. Oh, and this also includes non-disruptive live patching for kernels within IoT devices. And as we all know, a single unpatched IoT sensor can expose your business to as much risk as a large-scale server in your data center. TuxCare can also take care of your live patching within your enterprise virtualization stack and database servers seamlessly. Place TuxCare in your ecosystem to work alongside your existing configuration management tools, vulnerability scanners, or ePortal secure patch server all while gaining 24-7 support. So leave the burden of enterprise Linux patch management to TuxCare so you can focus on the productivity and success of your organization. Visit TuxCare.com for more info today. That's T-U-X-C-A-R-E.com today. So talk to me from the, your cyber aspect, right? When you, when you created a product such as this and you're starting to look at um, what goes on just in terms of regulatory requirements around personal identifiable information or S- SPI, I think, is the sensitive personal identifiable information. You're not necessarily tracking names, birth dates, social security numbers, things like that. But have you ever considered you know, future regulatory impacts of somebody coming in and trying to say, hey, wait a second, you know, we need to, to, to modify the way you store your data, the way your data is accessed or the way your data is protected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like totally transparent, like our business depends on our ability to defend people's data, frankly, with, you know, our lives. Right. And like, that's just becoming a table stakes for anybody in any sort of technological field. Right. And it's, it's not surprising, right? Like, uh, (laughs) right. It's just tables that you like, you wouldn't walk in to, you know, a restaurant and be like, here are your receipts all over the place. Let me look at the last four digits of everything. Like you're like, no, we, we, we do this. Like there's certain sensitive information that's held behind, you know? And like, we don't care about what is said, right? And I'll be totally honest, like it's profoundly boring for us. What's interesting so is how, how things are said, right? Like how that's what's both helpful to your group and then communities at large, right? So like, how we communicate when you when you look at people who say i mean we talked earlier about this idea of like people who can fill up a room people who can talk but let's talk about those folks who don't always initiate those folks who need a little bit of pull to get into the conversation right you can look at just simple words like i think right i think is one of the hedges that we're seeing across the data that people in power both formal and informal use right to assert right so a boss says hey i think we should do this of course you're the boss like we're gonna do what you think right but that that softening signals 
that, hey, the direction I want to lead it is the direction that the, the group is going to go in. By the same token, you know, we, we can, we're experimenting with measuring psychological safety by using phrases like kind of or sort of. So somebody says like, ooh, I kind of sort of think we should do this. Ooh, cool. As a manager, definitely listen and then loop back to say like, hey, Fred, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that idea. What are, you, what are you thinking, right? So just signaling to managers who are more often than not are super skilled at a technical aspect, but need some development in terms of the people management. That's the piece that uh, is exciting. So again, all that data is incredibly sensitive. And again, we're focused on the how, not necessarily the what, but we got to protect it all. Um, and and our, our co-founder, uh, Evan, I mean, he is a fantastic dude. He's worked at Microsoft Azure's, Azure's infrastructure team. So uh, he's literally been working on the skill that we've needed for the last four years. Um, so we've got state of the art in the platform. So while we're in the lane of cyber, I do want to say that, you know, your tool can also be used to enhance security in many aspects as well. I mean, it can identify folks that are handling X data or handling X data in X way. So a lot of that information is being gathered and can be mapped out to ways that can help identify security flaws as well. <laughs> That's right. That's well, right. You're starting to come into workplace surveillance now. Uh, you guys, you, you're straddling two really, really, really big um, AI ethics issues, ed tech and workplace tech. Um, and I'm, I, as I'm listening to you, um, I'm getting the sense of the importance of vision um, I'm getting the sense of the importance of method as well. This comes back to that opener you had, the Harkness method. It's clearly you guys have got a, you've put a lot of thought into your um, your your human wear, your wetware, how you're going to approach this, um, because there are so many so many um, pitfalls at the moment. I've got a um, I'm put I'm keeping my AI ethics AI audit hat on. Um, I'm and I'm suppressing my inner cynic. So the, the first thing usually I want to hear is to what extent has voice been given to others? And in your case, well, that's what you do. This is really good so far. And then I go, okay, um, to what extent are voices being kept out? And then I go, well, this will actually show me. Literally, this is looking very good. Um, then I go to who controls the convening voice? And now I'm going, ah, now I can see a whole bunch of voice suppression will come in because we've touched on it already, the boss, right? That's the suppressing voice. You guys are seeking to, in a sense, sort of get a bit of away from that and enable conversations to occur. I think I've got this more or less right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're tracking. Yeah. So you're, you're and, and it comes back, you're an educational communications company, but as you just said, you're you're deeply in the security business because you're connected to all their data and you're in ed tech and work, um, workforce uh, surveillance risk areas. It's a challenging space to be in. So then my last observation, when you show power, some people in power doesn't really like that. Um, we don't have to go very far to look at gerrymandering. Oh, mm. all of a sudden the line was over there. Um, to what extent, you know, how, how are you going to handle knowing as a team that you're, you're coming closer and closer and closer to a very powerful no and that 
your own mission is on the other side of that no. You've actually somehow got to find a way to get through, past, or over a powerful stakeholder that if you do, you're also going to piss off. Yeah. I, I think p- part of the answer is the one you had given us earlier, right? So not every person who wants to pay is going to be the right customer, right? Yes. Uh, and and one, one of the things that we think about often, um, and I, I say this with a lot of sobriety in my voice, is that I, the technology, the, the cat's out of the bag, the cat's out of the bag. Right, we we can do this, right? Like an eighteen-year-old kid in a dorm room can do this. The question will be: Does your company, organization, school, church, synagogue, temple have the requisite trust to move together yeah. into this new age? Right? Uh, and I and I know it sounds lofty, and I can get sort of uh, highfalutin, but I want to put it in like practical terms. Let's go all the way back a hundred years to the first car, right? Like. Dad, like you like whiskey. You also like fast cars. I don't know if I'm going to get in that car with you, right? Like, hey, like that car doesn't have seatbelts. That car doesn't have a window. That car doesn't have uh, all the all the other sort of safety gears that we've had, right? So we just know and we're preparing. And part of our process, literally after every customer call, is to ask them, how would you weaponize this? Oh, that's my guy. That's good risk work, mate. That's very good risk work. So from so from the beginning. Right, we can say, and I've I've got to go to sleep at night, right? So, like, I've got I've got to sleep at night, and we want to make sure that we're asking that question, so we can build it at the same time. And going all the way back to the sort of chainsaw idea of like, imagine a world where the person, the engineer who designed the chainsaw, asked that question, and then from the get jumped, designed it so that the second the blade hit human skin, it wouldn't work. That's what we're trying to do, right? Uh, and we know we're going to get it wrong. We know we're not going to get it, everything right. We know we're going to miss. But I want to be able to say to a straight face to all of our stakeholders, to all of our constituents that, hey, we gave all of our effort. And here's what we've been doing since day one. Right. Not I mean, you talked earlier about like sort of slapping on AI at the end of a project. So you can say, oh, go for AI. Right. That is super sloppy and lazy. Right. We want to do the slow work now so that when the winds of controversy work, when the blow, when the winds of, you know, whatever crisis happens, we can say like, nope, we did this and this and this, and we talked to this person and we did this and this, and we were ahead of this and we did this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Because again, coming back to good work, honor, truth, duty, coming back to the the, the, the ethics that were instilled in us oh, um, yeah. as sons of Baptist preachers, right? Like, I, I, I got to face my mom and dad at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the stakeholders and investors are scary, but, you know, my mom will still take me behind the shed and do some work. <laughs> And, and also, when you look at really what the technology does, you're effectively creating a virtual observer in the room that's replacing a physical person. And the opinion that that observer is formulating is based upon psychological data that has been out there, you know, that's been taught to psychologists and, and doctors and all kinds of folks, as well as leaders on how to interact and grow. and and it also is a learning opportunity for people to look at that data in a very unbiased manner, right? It removes kind of multiple biases, race bias, you know, potential gender bias. And, it, and it's not that those biases don't exist because we all know everybody has different backgrounds, experiences, and perceptions, right? So 
that everybody's going to bring their own unique value there, but you're able to apply that middleman observer in the room that has no stake in the game and you are just looking at the results and you're applying some math and logic behind those results to say, here's what we see, Mr. Person, you take this data for you and then you could decide to act or not act or grow. And for me, I, I would love it because I do have a tendency to overtalk. I have a tendency to interrupt a lot sometimes, not a lot, but I have a tendency to interrupt during conversations because sometimes there's internet delays or microphone delays and it's that back and forth of you arguing or jostling and you're trying to have a two-way conversation, but the internets don't necessarily allow that right now, or there's Bluetooth and connections. And so you, it kind of eliminates a lot of the static that maybe could come up in, in a conversation. Right. And it also allows for somebody on your team to be like, Hey, yo, Hey Mike. Yeah, man, you, you actually do talk too much. Like, I, I couldn't get my idea across, man. Like, look at the data. I mean, it's subjective. It's no longer me telling you your breath stinks, man. This is horrible, uh, and it's an emotional, um, you know, aspect to that. I mean, it's all objective right there. You could see it. Everybody on your team can see it. Uh, I mean, if you had an idea and you know somebody on your team also had that idea first, but you just talked over them, and now you're getting promoted because your voice happened to be louder, or you know, you what your boss thought was the first person to bring up that concept and that new idea. It's now you're getting credit for it when it was somebody else's. I mean, so all of those things are, are measurable now and it's no emotion to that because it's, it's in the data. It's objective. You know, it, no people are going to get credit for the things that they've said and that they've been able to do and the results, even if they were a, a voice that wasn't always the loudest in the room or wasn't, you know, uh, the boss's favorite. I mean, it's all there. I mean, if the boss decides to make a decision on, you know, an individual after looking through the performance and through the data, I mean, that's on them and that's on the company and organization. But you can't say it now that you didn't bring anything to the table or that that person obviously wasn't up to snuff because they were, but they just weren't getting the proper recognition anymore. And if I, if I can, I think Keenan, you, you reminded me of two different things. Uh, there's been a big push over the last year to like in person, right? Even threats from big time CEOs come back in person. Blah, 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 right. And a lot of that, it's about surveillance, which is, you know, kind of weird. Uh, Right. And the, the other piece is that um, a lot of work cultures, especially for people of color and women, are toxic. Right. And we have the water cooler. Right. And people are talking trash about everybody at the water cooler. And somehow we forget that <laughs> gossip is corrosive and we celebrate these like with these unintentional interactions, the spontaneous spontaneity like. Oh, no, that was just two people talking trash about whatever, right? Not really based on any data. And to the extent that we can say, like, no, like, one, when you jump off a call, you don't have to ruminate about, like, man, are they going to go talk behind my back? Like, no, because you can look in, in the data and be like, oh, yeah, okay, it was an equitable conversation or or it wasn't, right? And this, like, we talk a lot about radical candor and all the clarity and all this stuff. Like, let's just put it all on the table, right? Get it out there. And then we can all see the thing that everybody's talking about at happy hour, right? And then like the boss comes up like, oh yeah, we were talking about the Eagles, fly, Eagles, fly. We were talking about the fact that you suck, right? Right? Like, so th <laughs> that, that, like that's that's not okay, right? Uh, but I would, the, other, the other thing I would say is that like, 
um, I always want to root what we're doing in practical stuff that we already um, understand and don't have any fear of. Imagine football, American football, with no rules. That would be state-sanctioned murder. It's uh, it's Stadia Fiorentina uh, in Florence. In fact, the most violent game you'll ever see is is I think what you described. And I don't want to play it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic Netflix documentary on that, by the way, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you 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 get rules, right? Like, hey, you can't break each other's fingers off. You've got to stay on that side of the line. You've got to stay on this side of the line, okay? But then, like, you know, people will be people, right? And you need somebody to referee the rules, right? And now the cool part about the promise of AI is that we can use AI to referee the rules for a conversation. Right, which then offloads the cognitive energy of the leader or whoever it is to say like, hey, let's just exist. Let's do this. And then the AI will say like, ooh, you crossed that line, come back over. Or you haven't crossed the line, come back over. And one of the things that we talk a lot about pulling people back, but one of the things that excites me is to push people forward, to say like, no, you can't just sit on the call and not talk. You've got to contribute, right? And we're seeing this in real time with project managers who are paying like real billable hours to people who sit on real Zoom calls and don't say anything. And their customers are like, that person sat on the Zoom call for three hours and is going to charge me $350. What exactly did I pay for? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I keep coming back. I keep, keep seeing this enterprise level benefit. And it's not, it's sometimes not a benefit obtained within a team. It's actually a benefit obtained within the organization or a group of teams or the group of groups. Because as we've said before, you're all about miscommunication and we're all about getting a bit more trust for that next level. Now that is uh, balance sheetable at the enterprise level. We can value that stuff and we generally do want to drive it down. We don't want asshole managers with asshole teams because that's where asshole teams come from, asshole managers. Um, but there's this element of a necessary level of trust already in place. Um, but I think one of the things I'm really liking is helping people understand how to ask different cultural questions. Because, of course, if it's outside your cultural base, you can't answer the, ask the question because you don't know how to ask it. And one of the things that we have here in New Zealand, and um, we're you know growing our, our, our language, uh, we're bringing in te reo Māori, which is the Māori language, so te reo, te, uh, te reo English, the English language. And what's happening is people don't quite know how to ask questions because the linguistic bases are quite different and the social structures beneath those linguistic bases are different as a result. So what we have is a whole bunch of people wanting to talk together, talk to each other. They don't know quite how to ask questions and to listen. So I think there's um, a nice little use case there for you helping uh, global companies cross cultures, I'd say. Yeah. It, and, and I'm so glad that you said that. And again, I, I, it's, it's always... I'm not boosting you. I, I'm saving all my hard questions for later. <laughs> no, I love it, man. But like, look, we're trying to cut to like the core of what it means to be human, right? Like for so many hundreds of thousands of years, hunters and gatherers sat around a fire and they equitably talked to each other. So many hundreds, millions of people 
sat around a table. Like, like we literally watched Game of Thrones. You're like, oh, that's crazy. Like, no, that's how people live. Like you got warlords coming together from all different parts of Europe. Be like, hey, we could all kill each other or we could figure out this thing and figure out this piece. You literally sit around the Knights of the Round Table, right? That didn't end well. <laughs> Just so you know, they all died in the last battle. So we won't go down that track. In, in the last one, in the last one, in the last one, right? But right, but but we just know at a human level, right? Once, once, and this is also backed with everything we do is backed with science too. Is that people's adoption of new ideas, even those ones that they disagree with, they're much more likely to uh, to follow along if they feel like their idea has been heard. And that's, and that's really one of the many processes that we're trying to facilitate. It's like, hey, like, we might go left, but I really want to go right. But you heard me and you heard my case. We're going left. We end up going right. I can, I can get on board with that because I see a, a larger picture. Um, and that, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what gets us excited about this stuff. So. so my question is around uniqueness of teams, and you can interpret that in a moment. I started a job not that long ago. This was, I don't know, probably within the last 10 years. And it was a sales-related job. And I was going to my first meeting. I knew I was at home with this company, or at least this leader. Leader sits down, and I first day at the job, 9 o'clock, first meeting, right? We go in there, and he pulls up his, his uh, pant leg to show his sock. And on his sock, he has... A saying that says this meeting is bullshit. Mm. And that's like my first interaction with this manager. I loved it. I thought that was hilarious. And it was one of the best welcomings to a company that was a different culture versus really super large enterprise cultures. Mm. You could also look at SEAL Team 6 or certain military communities that are high performing that don't, I mean, in a multicultural world, they'll throw racism they'll throw sexism and comments that to most people when if they were to look at the data on the surface don't really understand the context or the joke or the intent or the 30-year relationship that two snipers who are out in the field have with each other that gets pretty maybe rough and, and tumble right i understand this is all coming down to the data and how it's presented to the client and then that client or, or manager or whatever can and interact. So whoever that is, if it is a high performing or sales culture or Wolf of Wall Street kind of environment, right? They should know that and be okay with that. But help me understand a little bit, like, is there even anything there around that thought, tech, thought track with Harkness? In terms of the people at the edge cases of... Yeah, like how do you manage the ed edge cases? Yeah, I think I, that's a, if I'm understanding your, correct, your question correctly, um, Half of that is that cultures and having space for that culture, right? So I'll, I'll move it to a less charged environment. Mechanics talk a certain way, right? There's, there's a certain culture in garages that me, given my background, I just don't understand. So again, we're all gonna, always going to come back to the human aspect of it. It's profoundly arrogant of me to walk into mechanic and be like, actually, you have to pick up your pants. You have to talk this way. Uh, you have to enunciate all your words, da 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 I literally don't know what I'm talking about. But there are some human biological processes that I have some understanding about, right? If we hear from everyone, we just know objectively we're going to get a larger subset of ideas. If you have more ideas, 
you're going to have the luxury of picking from those ideas. You increase your chances of picking a better idea, right? If folks are talking to each other, right, you're increasing the bonds, right? Abraham Lincoln famously says, it's hard to, hard to hate a man whose story you know. That's a really solid reason for having everybody to talk to each other, right? And getting feedback on whether or not we're hitting that metric or not. So, I mean, yeah, you're going to have certain cultures where cultures are sort of toxic or not or this or that, but we just don't, that that cuts through in terms of a human level. Hey, Mike, were you, were you kind of saying if, um, you know, Team X and uh, in Industry X does a really good Harkness um, score and then they go to a, a conference and say, we got a really good Harkness score and you go, oh my God, how can I do that? And you try and import it, but um, you've got a completely different industry. Is, was that sort of around the question? Not necessarily. So if I use the Wolf of Wall Street example, have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, it's great. Those kind of environments exist a lot more. And there's good and bad about those kind of environments, right? They're, it does isolate and alienate certain individuals and groups and, and backgrounds or whatever. But also it's a, a charged environment because it's high performing. It's Go, go, go. I mean, literally, you know, talking about cocaine and, and all kinds of things, right? But in the workplace environment. Now, I would suspect that maybe a company like that firm who owned Wolf of Wall Street, if they were to leverage Harkness to understand some of the interactions of their meetings, they would have to make a logical decision to say, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with that based upon with the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, a, a big part of that is, you know, what team members are like that are high performers are they missing out on by engaging in behaviors like that? Like, so to be able to look at your data and say, oh, man, we've got a rock star guy, but he just doesn't you know, like it when we talk about cocaine or right? when we do those types of things. And so, I mean, that is in, in the day that's on that company, that organization. To be like, okay, this fits us. And while we may have some solid, you know, folks here on our team that don't agree, we're going to continue this behavior because it's just what's going to help drive us to be more successful. And we don't need that person. I mean, that's an active decision that that group has to make uh, as to who they're alienating by engaging in certain behaviors. And what that ties into is somebody like myself who is more naturally introverted than extroverted. I, it's been a journey over my lifetime to be able to get comfortable with coming on podcasts and public speak and, and do things like that. And that came through me watching many hours of TED talks and YouTube videos and other things. And, you know, to the, to the upside of all of this, right. That it cuts a learning curve down significantly. It cuts those, those many years of trial and error with different, cultures and different people of failing and, and struggling and presents a little bit more of a data-driven approach to um, better self-awareness, better uh, communication, better understanding of the plus and minuses of both sides of the conversation. Because at the end of the day, a dialogue is a dialogue and it's important and, and wars are fought over miscommunication and dialogues and and riots get kicked off from miscommunication and dialogues and small things because people don't always look at the intent. They maybe look at a word and the intent behind the word sometimes is more powerful than the lack of vernacular at that moment or whatever the case may be. So I also look at this as a positive to be able to really 
cut my learning curve down or my, my child who's a teenager, right? Being able to get him to not have to spend 16,000 hours watching TED Talks, understanding how to communicate. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think if I'm understanding both Rohan, your point, and Mike, your point a little bit better, is that um, part of the reason that I wanted to transition from education into technology is because uh, of that impetus. And I'd heard my whole life, you know, I'd worked so long to educate really talented students to go off into the world and do amazing things. And when they did that, when they did what I asked them to do, they ended up in these really tough situations, right? And I mean, like, oh, man, there's stuff outside of my control, namely toxic work environments that my students are crashing into and then getting disillusioned because they chased money, fortune, and fame, ended up selling their souls on that path. Uh, and then I'll just bring you back to one. Uh, the story doesn't end well for Wolf of Wall Street. And then if you if you go if you go back to uh, the training that Navy SEALs get, and I, I have so much respect for that profession, uh, you know, honor and truth and, and the duty and the responsibility. Those those I mean, it's been all guys to this point, but those 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 men sign up for some of the highest ideals the human experience has to offer, right? Um, and when you look at the intensity of their training, and I'm talking about their mental training, not even the physical sort of buff, you know, ripped guys on the beach stuff, like the, the mental fortitude to hold their water during incredibly difficult um, moral decisions, right? You think about the, the decision of, do I take this life or do I not? You know, that's, that's about the largest decision a human being has to have. You know, they, they, they have been trained over and over and over and over to have those um, yeah, to have the moral compass to make the right idea. So um, again, going all the way back to not every customer is going to be the right one for us. I, I'll just come back to that because um, we, um, some teams, you know, to have different characteristics. This SEAL example, obviously these people are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to die for it. Um, I'm willing to die for it. And then um, that's, that's what they use as their fire. To, to lift them to these great heights. But if you're a, a part-time remote engineer just fired from Twitter and you're going, I feel so connected right now and here's my Harkness, oh my God. Um, it's, it's there, there keeps, for your use cases, there are these thresholds, these, they're off and then they're suddenly on and then they're really, really good. And then they, as they get closer and closer and closer to, that which shall not be moved, um, so, um, it feels like the use case gets more and more specific in some cases. So that's your SEAL teams, for instance. But, but over at, over at the, the bulk end of the market, I want to go back to those kids because I still think it's one of your best um, examples of the, of the girl saying, oh, my God, if those baseball boys don't talk to us, I'm going to make them. Um, that is, uh, there are a bunch of peers, to a large extent, the power structure is set for them because it's school. Um, they haven't fully had to buy into the um, you know, awfulness of society through work yet. So they are, they are, they are full of hope. They're teachable. Well, hopefully they're full of hope. But they're a different, again, a different um, set of people. Do you see some of the brightness in those in the kids example carry through into the work example or are, are you dealing with quite different types of people inside 
what's commensurate? What's going to move across all our use cases? And we know it's starting with kids and it's ending with, with SEAL teams who are going off to die for their country. And in the middle, there's a whole bunch of people that hate work. How, if I'm in this team and I'm wanting to lift my team up and I'm wanting to, what am I going to connect them with? A SEAL team or my, or my school kids? What am I trying to connect to their inner selves such that they'll use this damn tool to be a better team? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it comes back to human biology, right? And if we've learned anything about the workforce coming out of COVID is that people want flexibility yeah. and agency, right? Like oh, the, yeah. the structure of work comes from a manufacturing age where you had immigrants from Hungary, Germany, Italy, uh, you know, the Eastern Europe come to the U.S. Those groups didn't speak English and we had, and the U.S. government had to sort of literally carbon copy all those folks into one sort of person. It's the reason why we teach English, history, math, you know, science, and then some language in every school. And it's why we don't teach entrepreneurship. It's why we don't teach creative thinking. There's a reason why it's how do you standardize all these folks? Um, but we know that people want agency and to the extent that like we can use this tool to give folks agency again, to come back to the human element that cuts across culture. If I say, here's my idea and you choose not to use my idea, at least I feel just a little bit better taking your route because I've been heard. I've been seen. I feel like part of the team. My perspective has given credence. It's put on the table. It's not the whole perspective, but at least I'm like, all right, that was my contribution. And there are more people like that than at the extremes of the poll. There are more people like that than are in schools. And there are more people like that in the Navy SEAL teams, right? There are more people who just say like, hey, I just want to show up nine to five, do a great job and go home to my wife and kids. I want to show up, make a meaningful contribution to my work, feel like I'm seen, make sure that my time here at this company is is worth it, right? And I think, again, looking at the future, one of the things that's super exciting for us is this idea is that resumes are gone, right? Because to the point, to the point of agency, to the point, your, your point, Mike, of like, yo, like, what culture am I getting into? Y'all sold me an idea. I gave up this, you know, equity in this company and all these other benefits I got here. And this is wild. This is not what y'all said. This is not what I signed up for. Right. So before you make that transaction, you can say, Hey, let's look at my Harkness data. Let's look at your Harkness data. I want to see how your teams interact. Right. You can look at my resume. You can look at how I've been at XYZ company for the last three years. So it's not like we're not going to lie each other with the dance of resumes. We're not going to, not going to lie each other, lie to each other with the dance of, you know, oh, interviews, all this stuff. I'm going to promise to be this. Like, no, 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 no. Like, look, here's what I've done. Here's how I interact. Here's the type of boss I like. Here's the type of team I like to be on. And th those new configurations are really, really exciting to be um, a part of. Yeah. And, and to, to, to the underrepresented folks with uh, neurodivergencies, right? Autism, Asperger's, whatever, who maybe don't have the comfort level, right? And being able to help them visually see other people's interaction may actually help break some of the molds or barriers or help them grow as an individual to find the right words. Because like for me, when I, I love, I love to read, but I'm not a speed reader. My brain doesn't process it, but I'll listen to a podcast on two times speed and be Gucci, right? Like there's a few people that I got to put it on regular speed because they talk super fast, but by and large, I'm, I can retain more auditory. But then when I read a book and listen to the audio book at the same time, it's a different way 
to learn. It's a different way to study. So you're, you're almost presenting that as a combination of an audio book and, and the, the visual book that they're reading in, in a data way, in a data, in a data way that they could understand. Yeah. I heard somebody describe it in a way that like kind of got me chucked up and she said, I've never before seen, like we were taught since we're three years old about the five senses and you can hear like, Oh, like touch and smell or like sight and touch. Right. But I've never seen until now hearing and speaking or excuse me, the, the auditory but speaking and hearing connected with visual, right. Where like now you can visualize a conversation and even coming back to the diagram, there's like a beautiful symmetry that nature, the natural world gives us if we slow down enough to see it. Even in that diagram, the most beautiful versions of that diagram are an equitable conversation because it's perfectly symmetrical, right? A dominated conversation just doesn't look like people are like, oh, it's, it's a cool diagram. But the most, we, we do these talks all the time. People are like, oh, I like that one. And the ones that they like is when everybody's voice is represented, everyone's talking to each other because there's a symmetry there that really speaks to the deepest parts of our soul. So um, it's really cool. Well, I know after a conversation like this, I need a drink <laughs> to help process it. <laughs> Jason, I want to cut to you because I know you're in LA, right? And I know LA yes, is sir. stacked with venues. But where's a good venue that you prefer to go to to hang out and unwind? Man, uh, there's no specific venue, but I will say the beach here is super grounding. Uh, and there's there's quite a few watering holes, so to speak, where I'll enjoy a nice, good old fashioned. Right. And then and, and take some of that whiskey uh, and bourbon from my time in Tennessee and in, in, in Chattanooga and Kentucky yeah. and just sort of re re reflect on the day. Right. Did someone say Tennessee? Hey, <laughs> you're the only 10 I see. Back to the tides. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I had to. He, he just opened the door for me. All right. So, Jason, give me give me a name. Give me a name of a venue. Like, Yeah, let's boost someone. Yeah, yeah. Let's boost someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's see. Uh, let's see. So, what am I? If you were, if I'm trying to think, give me a second here. Like, I'm, I'm going to really answer this question. If y'all were to come yep. to LA for the first time, where would I take you? Yep. So, all right, so we're doing two things. We're doing two things. I'm going to pick you up from LAX. We're going to go to Santa Monica Promenade. We're going to Venice Beach. We're going to look at all of the, the creative, we won't call them weirdos, but all the creative, expressive folks, because okay. uh, you just got to do that, right? Cool. Uh, you know, and if, you know, the medicinal is in your thing, you know, that, that's an option here for you as well. <laughs> and then we can go inland to the, one of my favorite bars here called Seven Grand, and they have Seven. over 500 different types of whiskey, man. So we just sit there and do a, do a flight and just... 500. Now, are you talking American whiskey or whiskey with an E? So you got, you got the Y, you got the IE, and the EY. You got, and oh. you got bourbon. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went there a couple weeks ago. This dude put me onto some Japanese stuff. I mean, like, I, I know Kokori and like the first layer of Japanese stuff, man. You think about like the pre yeah. precision manufacturing that comes out of Japanese with like whiskey distilling is just like, oh my God, this tastes like. It's amazing. Is seven grand the average bill? I mean, is that what I'm putting <laughs> on the bar? Are you paying? Drink, I mean, man. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. It depends <laughs> on what you're drinking. And, hey, what's a couple bucks between friends, man? You're good. <laughs> oh man! All right, well, let's yeah. go. And all right, Keenan, uh, what are you thinking? Where, where, where are you located geographically? Washington D.C., nation's capital. Uh, one of the actually, Rocket Bar is the one of the you know few places. It's right across from Capital One Arena. Um, it's a dive bar, but it's got a pretty cool pool table and lounge area downstairs. There's a, another spot that I frequent. It's called the Gathering Spot. Uh, there are a lot of politicos that hang out at the Gathering Spot to get to talk about policy uh, and stay up to date on all the new regulatory things that are coming out. Uh, yeah, so they've got you know, really good food. That sounds actually quite cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It's me. Yeah, it's not Roja. I'm telling you, I think you'd fit right in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing fitting right into DC, but <laughs> Politico, thanks, man. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I just heard last call here. You guys got time for one more? Yep. Yeah. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? The name of, of the cybersecurity theme bar would be Skynet. And the drink of choice is going to be the Judgment Day Daiquiri. Judgment Day. Judgment Day Daiquiri. Daiquiri. I think the garnishes are going to be quite <laughs> Judgment Day Daiquiri. I think the garnishing, we need some tombstoning. I don't know. I mean, but, you know, when, when people go in for drinks, you know, they want a... I want something strong, so give me a double. <laughs> well, double yeah. judgment day. Yeah, that might be your last drink. It might. Hey, it might be. You know, before you have, uh, you you see the glory, the gates of glory. You know, <laughs> it's a good. It's going to be a good night. Basically, you could tell from that drink. Love it. All right, Jason, what you got? I'll go with a privacy pint, man. You know, keep keep, keep you know. Privacy is, is the first thing we lead with. Get a little pint, you know. Uh, you know, keep the data secure. Keep the data secure. Stay. Uh, keep your keep keep your wits about you. Uh, yeah. Privacy pint. The privacy pint. Yeah. We pour the privacy pint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The people's pour the, of the privacy's pint. It's the people's pour, baby. You gotta give people, yeah, give the people what they want, right? And if if I lived in a sci-fi world, right, you would uh, as you buy more, like you would be able to protect more and more and more of uh, what you didn't want people to know about you. So it's the opposite of drunkenness, where you tell everybody everything, <laughs> but as you drink more privacy pints, you tell fewer stuff to few people. That's it. And you're in the communications business. That's it. Yeah. Do you actually know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to have to be some reverse algorithm to to keep you quiet after a drink. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, man. That, exactly. That's an innovative drink right there. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much, man. It was great talking to you guys i appreciate you coming on um before you guys go let us know let our listeners know where we can find you online and connect with you yeah i mean so the the first place to go is harkness.ai h-a-r-k-ness like knock lock ness um that's the number one and then happy to connect with folks on linkedin as well uh we're super active there um yeah, super active. I mean, we're early enough where we're still talking with folks and really want to stay connected with our users, listeners, and really, like I said, like this is a human movement, right? We're using these tools to make the world better, and um, we don't want to just sit in our virtual ivy towers and sort of, you know, throw lightning bolts from on high and really want to hear um, use cases. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I don't know, what I'm setting up myself for, but um, 
our most productive, best conversations come from people who disagree with us. Um, and I think uh, I want to model, especially as the leader of this group, being able to hear opinions that don't necessarily uh, jibe with mine and hear different perspectives so that in the service of building a long lasting, strong company culture and just product, uh, we're getting everybody's voice involved, right? So yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn, go to the website, check us out, uh, reach out. Um, if I can't get back to you, it's only because I've got a million other things, nothing. Um, but would love to connect with folks there. Awesome. Jason Keenan, Mike Rohan, thank you all for joining me, man. It's been awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate that. Rohan, Mike and Chris, Fly Eagles Fly. Yeah. 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 Uh, what do y'all say? Uh, Rohan, what, do you, what, what is y'all saying uh, for the Titans? What do y'all uh, say? Um, love you, Blue. Love you, Blue. Okay. Love you, Blue. Okay. I don't think um, Tennessee Terrible. fans sing because LP Field is actually everyone else's home field because we only kind of win every now and then at home. Apart from that, we'll come to your stadium and defeat you completely. <laughs> know barcode is where security and it professionals hang out after a long day so get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode or live show learn more at barcodesecurity.com slash sponsor cheers unfortunately it's time to shut the bar down for this episode thanks for stopping in see you next time we'll save you a seat Be sure to check us out at barcodesecurity.com.